for those of you who have not been a part of our uh, uh, lessons the last couple weeks, last week we did the Lord's Supper, but the week before that we, and the week before that we were focusing on Jesus Christ and his eternality. What I mean by that is that he is eternal God. He was before the foundation of the world. We learned in John 1, 1, uh, 1 through 14, we learned that, that Jesus uh, was God. He, was the, he is the creator and that he is the king of his creation. And we learned that he clothed himself in humanity and walked among us so that we could know him and so that we could understand him and so that we could relate to him. And not only that, we know that he clothed himself in human flesh because angels do not bleed. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Jesus came as that perfect sacrifice and died on a cross to save us. And so one of the goals here at our church is going to make sure that we stay in the word of God. We stay scriptural. So I will be teaching and preaching expositionally through the Bible, which means we're going to go verse by verse through scripture and learn that way. We're going to learn verse by verse. And for the, for the foreseeable future, Lord willing, we are going to teach the life of Jesus Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. The life of Jesus Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. If you've been a part of our early morning Sunday school class, you would know that the New Testament is established or, or uh, built up of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles, the letters to the church. And so in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get four different perspectives through the inspiration of the one Holy Spirit of who Jesus is and what he has come to do, what he came to do, what he did, what he has accomplished, and what he's accomplishing now. And so our goal is going to be to preach through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and go verse by verse through those and see the chronological life of Jesus in his earthly ministry. In a couple weeks from now, about six or eight weeks from now, we'll be celebrating Christmas. And that is a time when we, we honor him for being the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And so what we want to understand is that the Gospels teach us about who he is and what he did as he walked in the flesh, as he died on that cross, as he was buried, and as he rose again and ascended into heaven. And so we're going to learn about him. Again, if you have been a part of our Sunday school class in the morning, you'll know that we are learning about how the word of God is the foundation of our truth, our rule, and how we walk and, and what we believe as a, as a people. And so uh, one of our texts from last week was 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says this, All scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, I am prefacing today's sermon on that text. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training. It teaches us, the word of God teaches us, it reproves us, it shows us where we're wrong or where we fail. It corrects us and it trains us in righteousness. Now, with that said, Today we are going to read and study one of the most skipped over parts of Scripture that there is. The so-and-so begot so-and-so, and the so-and-so begot so-and-so, and the so-and-so begot so-and-so, and the so-and-so begot so-and-so. I think that probably Matthew 1 and Luke 3, the second part of Luke 3, are probably two of the most skipped over uh, 
chapters in all of the New Testament, very comparable to the book of Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Most people, when they start their their yearly reading through the Bible, they do good through uh, Genesis and Exodus, and, and then they hit Leviticus, and then they just skip and go to John. And so the reality is that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and reproof. And so today, we're hopefully, with the Lord's help, we're going to see where all of these scriptures that we're reading today are very important and that they are profitable and they're not just a bunch of names on a list. So if you have your Bible with you, um, turn with me to the book of Matthew. And we're going to go ahead and read both of the verses all together and then I'll go back through and we'll teach through some of them. So Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 says this, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram was the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. And Joram was the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah was the father of Jotham. And Jotham was the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh was the father of Ammon, and Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel became the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abuhud, and Abuhud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim was the father of Azor. And Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of Achim, and Achim was the father of Eliud. And Eliud was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Mathan, and Mathan was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. All right. I did not read that just to show off my skill, and I hope that one day I'm not held accountable for how I pronounce some of those names. But we're going to now turn to the book of Luke, and we're going to see one of the other apostles and his uh, depiction of the genealogy of Jesus. So if you will, turn with me over to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 23 through 38. When he had begun his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, 
the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Helsai, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of uh, Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur. The son of Joseph, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mattathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Cainan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Cainan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, what in the world does that have to do with me? How long did you have to practice to do? <laughs> yeah, I promise you I messed up a few. I just played it off, Okay. <laughs> The reality is this, why in the world did he just read all of that and how is he going to preach on a family tree? Well, I want you to know that we're going to see three things in what we've read today. Number one, God's people are people. God's people are people. We need to remember that. Number two, God's promise, his word, God's word is established on his will and his eternal decree. And number three, God's word, his plan gives us salvation and assurance. So we're going to see three things in this lesson as we we think about these names today. Number one, God's people are people. Number two, God's promise is established on his will and his decree. And number three, God's plan gives us assurance and salvation. God's plan gives us assurance and salvation. Number one, we want to talk about the fact that God's people are people. We'll focus a little more on the the Matthew passage of Matthew 1, 1 through 17, but let's go back and look at that and see that God's people are people. Well, what do I mean by that? One of the major themes in the Bible, and one of the things that should give you and me hope is this, that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. The Bible teaches us that we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God and every one of us have failed him. But every one of us also have a tendency to look down our nose on others that have failed him worse than we perceive that we have. The reality is, is that we are imperfect human beings and the Bible never coats that over. We're going to meet some people in this passage that are a mess, that are broken, that are busted, that have done some terrible things in their lives. And yet through all of man's striving, all of man's sins, all of man's rebellion, God is still making sure that his plan falls out just like it's supposed to. Amen. Right? Yeah. 
That should convict us, but that should also give us some assurance. God is not depending on you to save yourself. He sent his son to do that for you. He sent his Holy Spirit to help you with that. It's not up to you, it's his work. And so we see that in this passage. So let's go back to that Matthew 1 passage and look at a couple of things. Number one, it says this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. One of the things that you will see in the book of Matthew is that Matthew has a general audience of the Jews. The book is written for both Jews and Gentiles, but when Matthew was writing this, he was addressing a rebellious nation that had rejected their Messiah. And so what Matthew is making sure that the Jewish people understand is that Jesus is their Messiah. Jesus is their Messiah. He is a, the, the son of David. So what is Matthew doing? He's making sure that the Jewish people and you and I understand that all of the Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in who Jesus is. He is the son of David, the son of David. So what does that mean? Because he is the son of the king, he is the only one that has the right to the throne. The Messiah is a king and a prophet and a priest. They were looking for a Messiah who would be their prophet, their priest, and their king. And what uh, Matthew is, is showing us is that Jesus qualifies on all accounts. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so it says Jesus is Messiah. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now watch. The genealogy, this family tree, begins with Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the father of the faith, so as as it were. Well, what does that mean? It means that God came to Abraham and revealed to him his plan of salvation. So we're going to go back now into the Old Testament and we're going to look at some of that. So if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. I'll give you just a second to find that. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 7. Now, for any of y'all who are coming to our Bible study on Monday nights, you would know this because this is exactly what we've been studying for, for, what, the six weeks I've been here. We're studying the book of Genesis and we're learning about the life of Abraham. And we're learning about the Genesis story, the beginnings, the beginnings of the faith. And so in this passage in 17.1, let's look what's going on here with Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram. I, I, was, I misquoted. His name is still Abram. His name has not been changed to Abraham yet. His name is Abram. And he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. 
and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, Abram, but your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make the nations of you and kings will come forth from you. Kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. Some of your Bibles will say seed, your seed, your descendant after you through their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Okay? So God is making a promise to Abraham. He's 99 years old. And he don't have the kids. Except for one that was born from a, a handmaid. Yes. Right? Yes. And now God is saying, from you, I'm going to make sure that the, the number of your kids are going to be more than the stars in the sky or more than the sands on the seashore. And Abraham's 99 years old thinking, how in the world am I going to father all of these kids? I'm 99 years old. I don't have that much time left. You see? But the reality is God said, I'm establishing my covenant, my promise with you. I'm making a promise to you, Abraham, that from you... All of the nations will be blessed. That word nations, the the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in this sight. That's the nations. See, God's not looking at your skin color. He's looking at your heart color. And the reality is, is that at this point in the story, Abraham has not been circumcised yet. So he could really say that he is being given the promise before he actually becomes a physical Jew. And who is the promise to? It's to all of the nations. So not only is Abraham going to bless the people of Israel because he's the father of the nation of Israel, but he is also going to be the father of all of those who have faith like him. I saw a little meme this morning on the social media and it had a Palestinian and a Jewish kid sitting on a wall looking down on the city burning and both of them had, one had the Palestinian flag draped over his shoulders and the other one had the Israeli uh, flag draped over his shoulders and both the little kids were looking down on the city burning. And at the top of it, it said, all of Abraham's kids need Jesus. What does that mean? All of that fighting over there is fighting over dirt. They need Jesus Christ, both the Palestinians and the Jews. And so Abraham is the spiritual father of all of the believing ones, as it were. And so we're learning that God made a promise to Abraham that from you, from your seed, the kings would come. Now we go back to our passage in Matthew, and we'll see that Matthew was very adamant about making sure that David was there. Why? Because the king, the Messiah, had to be a king, so he had to come from David's line. But all, not only that, he had to come from Abraham. See, God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. And what he did with them, we learned this in our Bible studies, in our Sunday school class this morning, 
Jesus fenced in that nation of people with their own dietary laws, with their own worship system, with their own ways and laws. And he made sure that they were the people that protected the Old Testament. The reason that you and I have an Old Testament today is because those scribes were so meticulous with making sure that they kept their wrote down. Not only that, God's spirit was preserving his word. But God entrusted the people of Israel with the very, his promises, not only to Israel, but to all the world. And he entrusted them to keep that. And they couldn't eat pork and hang out with other people because he didn't want to mix them with the Canaanites. He wanted them to be a special people saved to himself so that through that special people, that one special seed could come. What was the problem in the New Testament after Jesus came and died on the cross and ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit? The Jewish people were like, oh, no, no, no. The Gentiles can't have this promise. We're his people. And the rebellion and all of the fighting and conflict came in when the Gentiles started receiving the Holy Spirit and becoming the people of God. And the reality is, is that that promise of all nations being blessed through Abraham came to fruition when the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit in Acts. Now the promise goes to who? To all peoples. The promise is proclaimed to all. You realize that for about 1,400 years, there was only one people that had the word of God. That's it. The rest of the world, the Bible says that, that Satan had them bound in darkness. They, they didn't know the truth. And it was just that one small little group of people that had the truth. But now that truth has exploded, hasn't it? And the reason that you and I today are sitting in this room, if you truly are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, the reason that you are is because the Jewish apostles went out and did exactly what Jesus commanded them to do, which is to spread the gospel with all the nations. And now today, because of their obedience, you and I are now uh, receivers of that salvation. So it's one big plan. The whole plan from Genesis to Revelation is one big plan of God. And part of that plan was David and Abraham. But not only that, I told you to remember that we're going to see that God's people are people. Look with me in the next passage there in verse uh, uh, 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. He had a son. What was so special about Isaac? He was the son of Abraham, but he was the promised son. Ishmael is the son of Abraham too, but Isaac was the promised son. And what does that mean? It means that when, when Abraham and, his, and Sarah had that, that child, neither one of them were capable of having kids. It says Sarah's womb was dry. There was no physical way for her to have a baby. And what happened? She had a baby. He was a miracle boy, wasn't he? He was a promised child. And so that should be ringing bells with you because every year at Christmas we celebrate somebody else who shouldn't have had a baby because she had never known a man. And so all of this is pointing us to Christ and it's all pointing to the fact that the saving process, God's salvation is not dependent on the works of men. It's dependent upon the promises of God. 
And so Isaac is that beautiful promised child that comes along. And right after Isaac, we have Jacob. And we learned that Jacob is the biggest rascal in the world. He's a crook and a thief and, and, and knows how to get his way and a manipulator right? and a trickster. And yet God uses him. God breaks his hip one day and changes his name to Israel instead of Jacob. And then Jacob has a boy named Judah. And this, guy, this, this son named Judah, uh, he has three boys. And, and these three boys are, are married. And one of them dies. And the other one dies. And, and, and then the one is supposed to give this young girl, Tamar, his wife, a kid. But he dies. And so what does the Jewish law say? The brother's got to go into her and for her to have a kid. And that brother... Uh, uh, Abraham, uh, Judah refuses to let his sons consummate the Levitical marriage or the Levite marriage with her. And the reality is this woman dresses herself up like a whore and goes and sits on a street corner. And when Judah, her father-in-law, comes walk, walking by, she seduces him. They have a child, twins together. And so now Judah is not only the father of these two boys, Perez and Zira, but he's their grandfather. He's their daddy and their granddaddy. Now, how does that fly? And it probably has happened in the society we live in today, but how would that fly? It's an abomination, right? But think about this. God is using the wicked desires and lusts of men and using it for our good and his glory. He's even taking our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our wickedness, and turning it around and using it for good. And that's one of the huge things behind the Bible, isn't it? That God uses broken men to perform his perfect will. His will will be done. And not only is there that ugly story, but we go down a little further and we see that, well, we see the story of Ruth. I don't know of any Christian woman that doesn't love the story of Ruth. For some reason, it's very romantic. And where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. And it is a beautiful story of commitment. But the reality is, is that Ruth, the story of Ruth, as you read that story in the Bible, Ruth uh, has a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer, someone who is related to her. And he redeems her, right? Now, he's not related to her because she is a Gentile. She's a Moabite. She's not even of the Jewish line. And God uses this Moabite woman to have a son. God uses this beautiful story of redemption to have a son come out of it. That son's name was Obed. And then Obed had a son named Jesse. And who was Jesse? Jesse was uh, the father of King David, the one that killed Goliath, right? We all know the story of David Goliath, one of the first stories we learned in Sunday school. But then David has an adulterous affair with a woman. The baby dies. God frowns on David's and actually judges David for what he's done. David falls on his face and confesses it. And what does God do? He forgives him. And not only that, even through that busted and Sorted marriage, King Solomon comes from her. Even through that wicked story of Judah having an affair with his daughter-in-law, God is preserving his line. You see how that's working? God's people are people. 
He is not asking you to be perfect. What he's asking you to do is to turn from your sin and yourself and turn to his plan for you. To turn away from your strivings and your strengths and your attitude and your hopes and your dreams and to turn away from your wickedness and your rebellion and turn to him and simply trust his plan for your life. His plan for your life is going to play out whether you trust him and walk with him or rebel against him with your dying breath. His plan is going to work. And so it teaches us that these people are people. And we go all the way down through this list and we get down uh, to Abraham. Uh, we get down to the uh, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, also called the Messiah. And it goes on to tell us that there was 14 generations here, 14 generations here, 14 generations here. Now, this family tree is not the exact family tree. There's actually five kings left out of this family tree. So it's not a step-by-step, but what it's doing is it's showing the systematic plan of God playing out. From Abraham to David, that's one uh, part of the history of Israel. From David to Babylon, that's another part of the history of Israel. And then from Babylon to Jesus, that's another part of the history of Israel. And all of those people fell in one of those places. Right? Abraham, the patriarch, the judges. Remember all of those? Leviticus, Deuteronomy. All of that's from Abraham to David. And then we get to 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. And what happens? We get to the time from David until David's kids go crazy and amok and split the kingdom up. And they all fall in sin and idolatry, and God drags them off into slavery to Babylon. From Babylon, we get all of the prophets, right? Daniel was in Babylon, and Daniel and uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, all, the, all of the prophets were about the Babylonian captivity. Well, not all of them, some of them were four, but about the Babylonian ca- captivity. And the promise in the book of Daniel is, is that. At a certain time, after you leave Babylon and get established back in your land, after a certain amount of time, the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to come and present himself in your temple. And so they had all of this prophecy about this king coming. And what Matthew is trying to teach us here is that God has kept his promise. And it can be seen through Jesus' family tree. Now, I told you at the beginning of the lesson that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Well, I hope that by seeing this, we can understand how profitable it is to understand this family tree. For reproof, I guarantee you some of us are going to get to heaven one day and bump into somebody named Jehoshaphat and not know who he is. And say, oh, well, I know jumping Jehoshaphat, but I don't even know where that comes from. But the reality is these are people. And many of these are God's people. And they're going to be in the eternal kingdom with you. They're going to be your family, your eternal family, your brothers and sisters. And one day you'll be able to go back and fill in all of these blanks. One day when we know as we are known, we'll be able to fill, fill in all of these blanks and, and know of, of our God and our King and, and, and how he came about uh, through, uh, through the promises and the will and the, the decree of God. So God's people are people. And I hope that that's one of the most important things I want you to hear today is that 
We are all Adam's kids, and we have all fallen short of God's glory, and we all fail him on a daily, and yet he is a gracious and loving God who seeks uh, um, our companionship. He seeks us to walk with him and to fellowship with him and to know him and to love him and to share him with our neighbors and to share him uh, with the world around us. And so it's a beautiful thing to think about that God, even though we are people, God uses people. Now, second of all, we see that God's word is established based on his will and decree. So turn with me over to the book of Luke, and let's look at that genealogy really quickly. And what you'll notice is, is that the genealogy in Matthew goes from Abraham to Jesus. But look at the Luke family tree. It's actually going backwards. It's going the other way. It starts with Jesus and goes not just to Abraham. Because look at, uh, if you see that, look at verse 34. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac. What's happening? We're going backwards. The son of Abraham. But it don't stop with Abraham, does it? It says, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarah. And it's going backwards and backwards. And then look what happens in verse 38. The son of Enosh. The son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So who was before Adam? Jesus. The son of God was before Adam. You see how that works? And starting with Adam, the family tree started growing, and it was based on Adam's, he uh, he was the son of Adam, but he's the son of God. And the reality is, is that he could not be, he could not be Adam's begotten. Yes, right. Because if he was the begotten of Adam, he would have all the sin in him that all of, other, all of Adam's other kids have displayed. Amen. Yes. But he, like Isaac, is the child of promise. Yes. And the Holy Spirit placed him in the womb of a woman who had not known a man. But he is a son of Abraham, and he is a son of Adam, not a begotten son of Adam. He's the begotten son of God. And so when we see this passage, we realize that, whoa, 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 this thing goes way beyond just Abraham. See, it's not just the Jews that were God's chosen people. From Abraham to Jesus is about 1,400 years. But according to the scriptures, there's about 1,400 years of believers from Adam to Abraham before Abraham ever got the promise. Now, how in the world does that work? Well, let's go back to the book of Genesis. We'll go back there again to the book of Genesis and look at Genesis chapter 3. For those of you not familiar with it, we'll realize that Genesis chapter 3 is uh, the fall of man. And then now that man has fallen, God comes down and judges the man and the woman. And not only the man and the woman, but he judges the serpent. So let me quickly go with you through a couple of verses. We'll start at verse 13. Genesis 3, 13 says this. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Is that true? Yes. The woman was deceived into eating the fruit. Adam was not deceived. 
Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Now, granted, Eve is a chip off the old block, is she not? Where did Eve come from? Amen. Right? So all of you men out there that want to blame your, your wives for, for all of your problems, remember that you came from a woman and you came from a man. You are a chip off of the old block. We all act just like Adam. We all lie and say it's her fault. You see? So he, was to, he said you were deceived. So the Lord said to the serpent, so he begins with the serpent, and he said, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all of the cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you will go, you will eat dust all the days of your life, and all of your days I will put enmity between you and the woman. But it don't stop there. He says, between the woman and your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. What is he saying? He's saying one day that woman's going to have a baby that's going to get you. And when he comes, you're going to bruise his heel. How does a snake bruise a heel? Biting it. That's exactly right. He injects the venom. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the rights of Christ. So what happened? God promised that one day that woman was going to have a baby that was going to get the serpent that deceived her. And the serpent was going to wound his foot, but then he was going to take that same foot and pick it up and do what? Crush the serpent's head. So what's happening? All the way back in the, when, when there's only two people in the whole world, God's already said, I got a plan in place. And the plan is going to involve a woman having a baby. And that baby's going to get you, devil. You see? Now watch what happens next. He says, the woman said, I will, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. You're going to bear children, right? And in pain you will bring forth children and your desire is going to be to your husband, but he will rule over you. So what's happened now that sin has entered in, the woman's going to have babies and it's going to be what? Very painful. Now what I want you to immediately think of is those family trees with Jesus coming in. Think of all of the pain and the suffering that happened for that to, ha for that to take place. All of the suffering of all of those women. All of the suffering of them looking back and seeing their kids and what they were doing. All of the heartbreak, all of the pain, all of the suffering, and yet God's plan is being played out. A plan that was established when there was only two people. Actually, that plan was established before Adam and Eve were ever given life. God had foreordained everything. He, he is the one that decreed his creation. And so this plan's in place. He said, um, your desire is going to rule over your husband. You're always going to want to be the boss. You're going to be the one that wants to wear the pants in the family. And he's going to rule over you. Now, the reality is, is that God did not create the man and the woman to beat each other up and rule over one another. He pulled Adam out of uh, Eve out of his side because they're supposed to be companions. They're supposed to walk in harmony. But now that sin has come into the picture, what's going to happen? The woman's going to want to be the head and the man is going to do whatever he can in his physical power to keep her from doing that. And, that, and they're going to be constantly in conflict. That's why it's so important. I'm, uh, here I am giving advice. I've never been married. But the reality is, is a marriage between a man and a woman 
that are both Christians, that are both believers, is a beautiful marriage because they both have submitted to Christ and they both see their beauty in one another, his beauty in one another. And there can be harmony there. When you have people that are married that are, one's not a believer, you're always going to have, there's going to be friction. It's not that you can't love one another, there's just going to always be that constant friction because the other cannot appreciate the imago Dei, the image of God in you. All right, so... We, we got this, all this fighting and fussing going on, but look in verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve. Uh, he was mother of all, she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And he said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And so he kicked them out of the garden. So what's happened? Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes. They're afraid. They're naked. They're ashamed. They're full of sin, and, and God's wrath is hanging over them now. And they're hiding from God. And it is God that said, Adam, where are you? He's the one that went searching for Adam. Had he not, Adam would have never come back. But when he found him, how did he find them? They were clothed in their own self-sufficiency, in their own self-righteousness, in their own desires. And what, what kind of clothes is that? Leave. They were naked, to tell you the truth. We were, you were just telling us a story about that this morning. about the, the reality is they were naked and they were afraid and they were ashamed. So what did God do? God took animal skins and he clothed them. He gave them protection from their shame. But see, animals don't just share their skin with you. You have to kill them. And so in the garden, God made a sacrifice. And he took the anger and the wrath that Adam and Eve deserved and poured it on that animal instead of them. And through the death of that animal, what did he do? He covered them and their shame. And their... God was already setting in place the pattern of salvation for me and you. What did John the Baptist say? We'll see this probably either next week or the week after that. John the Baptist said, look, everybody, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So this plan has been in place all along. And even though people are people, God's promise is established on his will and his decree. And it's going to take place the way that it's supposed to take place. Now, we'll finish with this, this thought. God's promise and plan gives you and I assurance. What do I mean by that? We can go back now and we can read the scriptures and, and we can see even in all of the rebellion, all of the sin, all of the chaos of this world that God was constantly saying, let there be light, let there be light, let there be light. And his son Jesus is the light of the world and whoever follows him will what? Not walk in darkness. And so now when we go back and we read so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so, we need to understand that these are people. These are real human beings. Not only that, most of them are your spiritual brothers and sisters. These are people that we're going to fellowship with in heaven. And they were all used of God despite their shortcomings, despite their sin, despite their rebellion. God still used them to bring about his perfect plan of salvation that was established before the foundation of the world that played itself out in the advent of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and that he has now sent his Holy Spirit here for you and I as a gift to convince us of these truths. And I'll finish with these statements. If you are in this room today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know in your heart that you need to, 
The reason that you know in your heart you need to is because his Holy Spirit is always, already affirming that promise in you. And you have to turn from sin and self. You have to turn from what you're doing and turn to what he has done. Your salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what he did on that cross. And if you believe that in your heart, if you, if you could call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That is a promise to anyone who believes. And my prayer for each and every one of you in this room is that if you know him as Lord and Savior, that you will live this day and the rest of your life grateful to what he has done for you. And if you're here today and you do not know him, please find me or one of the deacons. Find somebody in this church and say, hey, will you, you share with me this plan of salvation that you're talking about? I know that he died for me. I know that I need him, but I don't know how. And we will be happy to show you through the scriptures what it takes to be a believer. All right, so we'll, we'll close with that. God's people are people. God's promise is established on his will and his decree. And God's promise and plan should give you and I all the eternal assurance and salvation that we could ever need. Amen? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. And I think we're going to have one more hymn to sing. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this time that you've given us together. I pray that these words will find the hearts that they need to be found in, which is all of ours. I pray that you will help us to know you and to believe you. I pray if there be a man or woman here today who does not know you, that today would be the day that you would show them your salvation. Please go with us now. Help us to love you and our neighbors. Help us to take these truths and live them out in our lives and share them with all we know. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.